Excited to be hanging out with you guys, spending time together this morning. Excuse me. <clears throat> if you've been hanging out with us, here's what you know. We've been working our way through the book of James. It's an exciting part. We're transitioning out of chapter two into chapter three today. If you spent some time looking at this text, here's what you know. The things that we are going to talk about today have the actual, literal ability to either improve, to transform, to bring blessing and prosperity to any relationship that you have, any single one of them. What we'll talk about today can improve every relationship you have with somebody. But it's also something that if you and I, if we so choose to neglect it, it'll hurt it. It'll bring pain to it. It'll bring a lack of support and nourishment. And that's where we'll be. Join me as we start in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to come and remind ourselves of what is true. How what your word outlines calls us to a faithfulness and the love of you. Would you do what only you can do? And that has changed lives. Would you change mine? Help me to love you more. People who are here who are wrestling with faith, would your spirit quicken in their soul to where they come alive as we hear what is true? I'd ask, wherever you are, just sitting there, if you have a faith, please take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time to help you, to grow you, to bless you. Man, I'd really appreciate if you took the next 10 seconds and you prayed for me, that I would be helpful. Lord, I thank you for the joy of this, the honor it is to gather, not only in safety, but as your people coming to be reminded of what is right and true. You paid it all, all to you we owe. It's in your name we pray, amen. Have you guys ever said something, right? Have you guys ever had a moment where you exchanged words and you said something to where literally as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you wish with everything inside of you, you could just take it and put it back in. Like, like if life had that, you know how iPhones or, or, or any phone now has that like 15 second back button you can push for when watching a video? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like in that moment, you'd plead with God, please let me push that button. Please let me push that button. I had one of those moments a couple weeks ago. It's pretty serious. It's going to end in, I'm going to cuss, but I won't ever cuss here publicly, but that is how that story ends. I share that because I really wished I could have hit that 15-second button. It started with a rough morning. 
I say it was rough, man. This is the definition of not really rough. Started with a rough morning. A friend of mine had let me borrow his car. I'd driven it for a long time. He was so gracious. I went, I filled it with gas. He goes, I cleaned the whole outside of the car. I take it to a car wash. Why? Because you got to return it better than you found it. He was so gracious to me. It was in good running condition. And I'm set there, and I get to the car wash. Now, now I need you to envision the car wash. There's the tube you're going to drive through. It has the tracks. You know what I'm talking about? There's the attendant up front that tells you, hey, pull to this, stop. And then you wait for the light to turn green, pulls you forward, shift to neutral. So I go through all of that. Pulls me forward. I'm in the track. I'm excited. I'm going to clean the car. I'm going to return it. I'm going to give it back to my friend. And I shift to neutral. I thought I shifted to neutral. Yeah. So I shift into what was reverse. Yeah. So I shift into reverse, but my, my tires were already in this track. So here's what ends up happening. My tires are in this track, and it starts to pull me forward. So I move forward. I don't know how a few feet, where all of a sudden this track, which is smarter than me, realizes this car is not in neutral. To where the track, I'm sure for safety reasons, starts taking the car and wants to spit it out, wants to push it back. So the track that was pulling me forward now starts sending me back. As the car starts going backwards, all of a sudden, guess what engages? Reverse. To where I was once going at this speed, reverse kicks in, and I start moving so much faster. Immediately, I slam on the brakes right there at the front of going that, that tube begin to wash your car. I slam on the brakes, but not before I hear this soft but terrible sound, this thud. It wasn't quite that loud, right? I hear this thud, right? I, I'm in this tube. I open the door. There's this machine that's about to spray soap on me, so I can't really walk all the way back there, Right? But here's what had happened. On the back of this car, there's a trailer hitch. And then as I had moved forward, the car behind me had pulled forward. And they'd gone to the right spot. But then as it pulled me back and then reverse engaged, it sent me back to this trailer hitch on the front bumper. Puts a, puts a crack in this crown molding. Yeah, yeah, chrome molding, actually. Right? <laughs> Wrong molding. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> puts it on this silver molding of this vehicle, and you just feel that sinking moment in your gut, and you're like, oh, please, God, don't let it be bad, right? Well, here, here's what happens. I met a great guy, Father Jesus Christ, great man. Ended up having a good conversation when I look at him, because literally, this silver molding here, there's just one small crack, and I just say, hey, man, if there's anything I can do to not file this with insurance, I, I will go to an auto body shop with you right now, get a quote, I'll pay for it, see what I can do. Immediately, I'm thinking about, like, what's my deductible? How do you do all this? If you know anything about cars, to replace one small part now, you essentially, because it's pretty much plastic, you have to replace the whole thing. So I walk out about $830 is what they estimated. We drove straight to this body shop. Great folks, they're going to give great care, but to replace the whole thing. And I get it, man. One scratch, I'd want a new bumper too. Totally, I get it. $830. Sitting there, man. Stomach in a knot. I go, I drop off the car. At that point, I'm like, I'm just calling insurance. I call insurance. My wife picks me up as after I dropped out this car. We go home. Now, here, here's the real moment. We walk inside. My wife, because she'd been kind of in a rush to come pick me up, she put our dog out back. We have this chocolate lab. Her name's Riley. She's great. But if you know anything about labs, she is 100% lab. And so she's been outside in the backyard. I go, we have the sliding glass door. I open it up. I say, hey, Riley, 
Riley comes in. I go to pet her. As soon as I reach down to pet her, I see just down the left side of her coat, left side of her coat, and then I smell it. Yeah. My dog had rolled in dog poop. Yes. It was, I don't know if that happens with all dogs or if my dog is uniquely special, but there's something wrong to where it feels like every six months. Now, you got to remember, this is the middle of the day. This is a Wednesday. Like, i got to go actually do some work by now, right? And so you got to get to work. I just see this, all the car. My dog pulled in. She comes up. I grab her by the car. I go to pet her. I smell it. I see that, and I look at her. Hey, in a moment, it was sin. I'm not saying it wasn't sin. I just look at my dog, and I go, oh, shoot. Except I didn't say shoot, right? So you can judge me, extend me grace, whatever. God's forgiven me, right? But here's this moment. So I say that. Then I realize, oh, man, I'm even losing to the day. James taught me to count steadfastness. Like, I have insurance. I don't even have problems. Dog comes in, and I'm thinking, okay, i got to go do this. I say, oh, shoot. Here's what happened next. This beautiful, angelic, sweet voice right behind me. I just hear this. Ah, shoot. (laughs) My two-year-old daughter's right behind me. (laughs) Yeah. And it goes from like bad to terrible. Because she's in that stage where it's like a parrot. She repeats everything you say. She follows you, does what you do. And so all of a sudden, she hasn't seen my face. Dog's gone outside. She's right behind me. I had no idea she was there. Oh, shoot. She says it again. (laughs) Literally, I just turn and I walk back towards the kitchen. Our kitchen has this wall. I round this corner and my wife's there. And my wife and I, in the span of about two seconds, had a whole conversation without using any words. (laughs) The first one, she looks at me and I swear this is what she says in her mind. You idiot. (laughs) She's totally right. And I look at her and I say, You're absolutely right. My bad entirely. I'm so sorry. And then there's this mutual agreement. Just don't respond. Don't don't give it any attention, right? Don't draw anything to it. And all of a sudden, we just go silent by the literal grace of God. It's the last time my daughter has said, aw, shoot. But it was this moment where immediately as I said it, I wish I could take these words. In that moment, man, that was a sinful response. Right? I wish I could take these words, hit that 15-second back button, put them back in my mouth, but I couldn't. What I said was said, the good, and in this case, the bad. The reason I start with that is what, what we're going to look at in the text today is the power of our words. How what you and I say matters. Most people, when you talk to them, there's the adage or the axiom that we all grew up with. Think before you speak. Whoever first came up with that, man, they must have just spent time reading James chapter 3. But more specifically, what I think is true is not just think before you speak, but understand the power of your words. Understand the impact that they can have. Today, I want to talk about how death and life are in the power of the tongue or what we say. Proverbs 18, 21 is a general summary verse that I encourage you guys for for a lot of these thoughts. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its 
fruits. Fruits there being both the positive effects where you can speak life to someone like nothing else through your words. You can be the wind to sails or you can speak death. You can bring hurt, pain, lasting impact. One of the things that happens just in the privilege of my role is you have a chance to connect with people and hear about some of the difficulties present and past. Of course, there's actions where people don't talk, but the vast majority of both the most wonderful and the most painful moments in people's lives are associated with what someone said to them. This is true whether you believe in Jesus or if you're here and and you don't. Let, Let me show you. Let's say you're dating, right? And you walk up to somebody and you say, hey, I'd love to take you out sometime. Right, and if the other person's excited for that moment, all of a sudden the heart just grows. There's this hope. The mind starts running. They're thinking about dating and where they're gonna go. I'd love to take you out sometime. There's that. And then there's the other side. Hey, I think we need to break up. There, there's the power of words where you can come and where you can drop on bended knee and you can say the phrase, will you marry me. And then there's the power of the words. I want a divorce. Parenting, you can come to a child and you can say, I'm proud of you. Even when, even when you're less than the young man, the young woman that I know you want to be, I love you. I'm proud of you. You speak life. Or you can come and say, Why can't you just get your act together? After the moment where someone responds, if you're in community or you're a member of Christ and you're sitting there and there's this moment where there's this confession of sin and then the room goes quiet because everyone feels, I don't know what to say next. In that moment, you can do many, but generally one of two things. You can respond to a believer in Christ the way Jesus would. He who's without sin, they can throw a stone at you. You sit forgiven and free. Remind them of their identity. Or, or, you can say things like, how much longer are we gonna have to listen to you talk about this? How many more times are you gonna do this before you finally get it through your head? And you treat them in a way that God never would. Spouse, right? Right, spouse, Husband comes home from work, viewing it as one day. Wife has been there, maybe beat him home either from her job or she's staying at home, discipling, investing in the family, right? Comes home and he just invalidates her day. Tears her down where she already likely has this insecurity of am I doing a good enough job? How do I balance a thousand spinning plates in a culture that says I'm supposed to be the CEO of my own small company while also being this perfect mom, which is impossible, and he comes home and makes her feel worse. Or he comes home to a wife who's given her best, and he says, it has been a privilege to go to war with you for these last years on behalf of this family. Thank you for everything you do. Or the wife looks at the husband, and even though she'd spent a day with family, the husband comes home, likely already battling with a sense of, man, I wonder if I'm just getting it done. I wonder if I make the cut. And she just looks at him and says, I wish you'd be more of a man. Words have the power of death and 
of life. No one proves this more than Jesus. James, he's going to reinforce that today. How will we do that? We're going to look at James chapter 3. We're going to examine verses 1 through 12 as we just go to look and see death and life are in the power of our words. We're going to talk about first reinforcing the major theme, the power of our words. The next thing we'll see is the pain of our words, the, the, the pain and difficulty that they can cause, and then the final theme. We'll talk about, man, what is the purpose of our words? To set this up where we've been, James, he's writing this book of this group of people, these, these Jewish believers that had scattered and he's writing them to remind them, here's what faithfulness looks like. Here's what faith produces within you. Don't be a hearer, be a doer. And where James is building right here in the chapter three, he's talking about we, those who've been made worthy by the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't have to work for a relationship with him. We just gotta believe. Those who've been made worthy out of a love, we go to work. And James is saying, Christians, the way we speak, the way we interact, the words that we choose should be different. We should speak love. We should speak the truth of God and grace, and tenderness, with gentleness, with respect. It should change the way we speak. Why? Death and life are in the power of our words. If you have a Bible, read with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 of James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. But if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The first thing you and I need to realize as we look at this, the first thing James is trying to teach us under this theme of death and life are in our words is understanding words have tremendous power. Finish this statement for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Yeah, who else thinks that's a total lie? Now hear me say, I've gotten... Sometimes you're like, I wish you would have said that rather than the physical pain of that, right? But it's a total lie. And that's what James is reminding you and he's reminding me. And he starts out really with people who want to be teachers. He gives this example. He's coming out of where he was just before, calling us to faith, not a dead faith, not an inactive faith, but a live faith, faithfulness. And he starts with, not many of you should be teachers. Who's he speaking to in that moment? Yes, he's speaking to people in positions like mine who have microphones, who come and they uphold the word of God and they say, this is true, yes. But he's also speaking to people informally. People who want to come and speak the word of God. And when you can do that, you can do that for good motives 
And you can do that for sinful motives. Right? Many times what would happen, especially because these, these were Jewish believers, they'd scattered. In a synagogue, what you could do is they'd allow times for people to come in and speak their opinion or their thoughts or their insight on the Word of God. They'd let you do it even if you're a stranger. This is one of the main ways, like if you know the book of Acts or you know Jesus, they go into synagogues and they just start teaching. They don't know anybody because they wait for that time where it's almost like a public forum. James is writing this group of people who you can have a good intention in wanting to rightly counsel, rightly teach, rightly share the word of God. You can do this individually with your kids, with your spouse, with your community group, with your neighbors, with, with the head of the PTA, with your local schools that your family's a part of, in your dating relationship, informally as well as formally. James is reminding you and I, but what you teach has consequences. There's power in it. There's an effect. And that's why he says, hey, teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Well, what does that mean? Yes, God takes seriously the teaching of his word. Matthew 5, James' is big brother. We're not going to turn there. He talks about what happens when people open God's word and they do not teach according to what it says. And he talks about what happens when people open God's word and they call God's people to love, trust, and just do what it says. One brings pain. The other brings blessing. I had the chance to hang out with a friend this past week. She, she had the opportunity. She was going to teach to a group of gals. She was excited. I, I don't know how many, right? But what she was coming to do, she essentially had to write this sermon, open God's word, teach from it. And she looked at me and she said, John, that is such a weighty responsibility. I just looked at her and I said, yes. Yes. Every time you and I come and we teach, what words are we meant to speak? The greatest counsel you will ever give will come from counsel already given. No one needs your new insight, your new revelation, your new opinion. What they need is the comfort of the word of God. And when you go to share it, share it well. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a workman rightly handling the word of truth, having no need to be ashamed. There's a weightiness in the power of what we teach. There's a responsibility that comes from it. Why? Because what we say has power. There's this beautiful part right after that, though, jumping back into James 3, right there in verse 2. This is why I love my Bible, y'all. James leading with this. And James, man, huge, big-time leader of the church, getting after it, effective, faithful, bold, courageous. Tell the world the truth and trust God. Trust what would have been his big brother with the outcome. And he says, after he calls you and me to understand the weightiness of our words, he says this, for we all stumble in many ways. James also had a problem with controlling his tongue. Stumble there, it literally can translate to fails. James also had moments where he wished he could take back what he said. And if anyone does not stumble or fail in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. A bridle, we've we referenced this before. James used that imagery. It's what would go on the face of a horse to direct it. In a minute, we'll, we'll see more with a bit. 
But what James is saying there is if you're able to control, not stumble, he calls you a perfect man. Right? He can mean one of two things there. He can mean either one day in heaven, which is true. The only place you and I will ultimately be able to tame our tongue, our words, will be in a place where there is no more sin. There is no more pain. There is no insecurity that comes out that unleashes on people. Be in heaven. But what, what, what James, I'm saying he's teaching here, perfect, he's referencing the same theme we've talked about before, that you may be perfect and complete, growing in steadfastness, maturity. James, in this beautiful sense of humility, says, man, I got problems with this too. But in spiritual maturity, you can grow. You can change. You do find yourself yielding to the Spirit, speaking more life than death. And he gives an example then where he talks about the power and why this so matters. He's going to give us three illustrations. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies. A bit, if you've ever seen that, it's what goes inside the mouth of a horse. It controls the reins. So as you sit on this massive, majestic animal, and you want to turn right, you want to turn left, how do you, how do, you do that? The main pivot point comes from pressure inside the mouth. This small piece of metal directs this massive animal. He, he goes on then, he says, it's the same thing, like, like a ship and what, what does he say? A ship, it has a small rudder. We all know what that is. The rudder at the back, it directs the direction of the ship and where to go. In the same way, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Your Bible may say, spark. James is saying here, the tongue, our words may seem small. But they are tremendously powerful. I had the chance this past week, a buddy of mine, he went to this gathering here at the Springs, this discipleship group, and he shared his story. He shared how Jesus Christ had transformed his life. And when he went to do that, he, he recapped, hey, here was life, everything up to the moment of Christ. Here's what life has been like since. There were two themes that really stuck out to me, all he shared. They were a part of his childhood, and they really demonstrated the power of words. He grew up in an environment where it was difficult. It was a broken place. Hurt people hurt people, and he was hurt. He can remember, and he shared explicitly two points where he can remember his dad looking at him as a teenager and saying, you are worthless. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but those words would hurt anyone. There's one moment, words are powerful. The next moment, he goes on. He's a later teenager. He's sitting there. He's in high school. They're watching TV together. They're watching this, um, I don't know, an episode, whatever you'd call it, this overview of the military airborne special ops. And he turns to his dad, and he says, man, I'd love to do that one day. His dad looks at him and says, you couldn't do that. You'll never do that. What'd he do? He did it just to spite daddy. I also think he probably loved doing it. Why do I share those two things? They're two moments where just in two sentences. Years later, decades later, you remember. Words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of our tongue. Let's jump back in the text. We're going to pick it up right here in verse 6. Verse 6. And the tongue, he's continuing with the illustration of a fire. And the tongue is a fire. 
a world of unrighteousness. Your Bible may say evil. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless or unstable evil, full of deadly poison. The second idea is we see this is we expand on death and life are in the power of our words, is the reality of the pain that our words can cause. The pain, the devastation, and the destruction. You see him start out, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Proverbs 16, 27. Man, this makes me think of this. A worthless man plots evil in his speech. It's like a scorching fire. Do you have the tendency to be one of those people when folks begin to have a conversation with you they consistently leave feeling lower than when they came, feeling more hurt than how they arrived. I don't care how you rationalize it. I don't care if you sit here and say, but I was right. Is it like scorching fire? Or, or, or is it like Proverbs where say, the words of the tongue can be like sweet honeycomb, comforting to the soul. Power of death and of life. The tongue is set among our members. What he's going to do here is he's literally giving an illustration how the tongue, it's a, it's a literal organ within your body. Our members, he's talking about anatomy. It's a part of your body. The tongue is set among our body, staining. That word's corrupting, defiling the entirety. Set on fire, setting on fire the entire course of life. I really appreciate that translation. The, the literal, it, it talks about this theme of setting on fire, the wheel of existence. It's speaking to this reality of how our tongues, it's like a member of the body where it starts in the center. It almost envision a wheel with this hubcap system that goes out with these spokes. It starts in the middle, and when it's set ablaze, the whole thing comes on fire. The direction, influence, and quality of our life is dictated by our speech. You can bring blessing you can bring pain. He ends it by saying, set on fire by hell. Hell here, he's literally referencing Gehenna. I've never had the privilege of going to Jerusalem, but here's what Gehenna is. It's just southwest of the city of Jerusalem. It was where literally in first century, that was the trash heap. That was where you take all filth, all excrement, all trash, all dead bodies, diseased and not. You'd take them there, you'd leave them there. And it was erupting with fire at all times. Why? Because they're trying to burn down trash, destroy dead bodies, as well as restrain what was there. It was the word picture that Jesus used consistently when he talked about hell, eternal conscious torment. Or he'd hang out, and it'd be, it, it's this theme, well, what was it like? And he'd point. It was symbolic. The evil that resides in our tongue is set on fire by hell. What does that mean? Even though, Christian, you and I, we have the Holy Spirit within us, this new life, this ability to speak life and know love differently, we still have tremendous ability to create deep 
pain. I, I heard one scholar say it in a way I really appreciated Our words, our tongue has an amazing ability to slip outside the cage of yielded sanctification and bring pain. Is there grace for it? Yes. Are you forgiven by Jesus Christ because of it? Yes. But remember, what did James say? We all stumble. We too must watch the pain that our tongue can cause. And and arguably, here would be the other thing I'd say, we got to be more thoughtful towards it. Like we, those who know love, who know truth, who know this, who have this internal Holy Spirit-driven conscience, who know God's word where he says, speak what is right, noble, and true. Let everything you say be edifying for the body. We're far more responsible for that than people who don't claim to believe it. Of course they talk however they want to talk. Why shouldn't they? But when we speak that same way, It's right that people are confused. Our words, there's this other theme. Our words, y'all, my words can betray my heart of worship. I can come and we'll see in a moment. I can stand here and sing and teach and lead, sing along songs, give praise to God, and then go. And in my first lunch interaction, tear down my words, betray my worship. We must watch that. We must watch that. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. He's talking about mankind, even at this point, was at the top of the food pyramid. There's many things you can come and tame, you can catch, you can put it in a cage. What you cannot fully tame, what you cannot entirely cage, is your tongue. But no man, but no human being can tame the tongue. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you do not have to live in a world of pain by what your words say. But ultimately, when is the only time you and I will be free from the fear of, God, may I build up, not tear down? Because if you're like me, sometimes my intention is to build, and yet my impact is I tore down. The only hope where that will be is when you and I, we just stand and we see Christ. We see what it's like in a new heavens and a new earth. We walk alongside and envision what it looks like. As you hear him speak life, we're reminded of how he spoke life. And then in that moment, man, I really think what I will have wished I'd done is that I'd been the most encouraging, kind, supportive, loving, gracious speaker. That I never neglected God's word. I speak truth in love. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. He's building on the theme of the tongue. He's pulling from the serpent before, and the animal, the animal illustrations, the deadly poison, the same way a snake can bite, man. That bite may hit you here, but it so corrupts. It brings sickness to the whole body. That's what tongues can do. Last week, I was hanging out with a friend, and he shared with me this phrase, hey, Rome wasn't built in a day. Rome wasn't built in a day. You guys ever heard that phrase? Right? Well, hey, it led me to think, how long did it take to build Rome? Honestly. Because you keep hearing about that, you wonder how long does it take to build Rome? Because you want to kind of figure that out because you hear that every time. So I looked into it. Right? I spent some time, some researchers, right? They spent time looking into this. Rome was officially founded in 753 BC. 
right? Now, the time, it's kind of growth all the way up until it was a major world empire. It's growth. I mean, there was fights, and some people burned it, and they attacked it. But it was very generally up and to the right. It took Rome not one day to be built. It took Rome 1,009,491 days to be built. If you break that out, 273 years, 1,009,491 years, 91 days to be built. That's a long time. It's a long time. Let me ask you guys this. How long did it take for Rome to be burned? One day. It was 64 AD, Nero, he was emperor. This flame began in the southern neighborhood just outside of the south section of Rome. There was this northern wind that picked up this flame and it brought it through. This people, this group, burned the majority of the city to the ground. It wasn't built in a day. It was built in 1,009,491 days. It was burned in one. You and I, our tongue, I can invest weeks, years speaking life into my wife, speaking love into my daughter, investing in the community and friends around me, saying, I'm for you, I'm with you. Here's the beauty that I see, the gifting and the talent. Here's how, because of you, I'm made better that Christ is using you to shark me. I can do that over a long period of time. I can burn the whole thing to the ground in one sentence. I could do it with one word. Pain of our words can be powerful. What are we meant to do, church? We are meant to build, not break down. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's pick it up again in verse 9. He starts talking about how it's confusing for Christians when we speak like everybody else, when we give no thought to our words, right? He says it right here in verse 9. With it, he's talking about our words, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The thing I couldn't stop thinking about as I finished reading that sentence is, dear God, would you please have spared me from early 1900s south, all the way up to arguably 60s and then everything there, going and joining a gathering of people who said, I've been saved and set free by the grace of Jesus Christ. I did nothing for it. He gives me newness and life, and I know where hope and life is found for all people made in his image. And then if I were to take my family, go to get brunch, and I'd walk into a restaurant, and on the front door said, for whites only. Church, there's an inconsistency to that. The same thing can show up, and it doesn't have to be racial in its implication. The same thing can show up in my life where I go and I come and I gather and I praise or I spend time on my knees when no one's around yielding to the Holy Spirit, and then I come to one of my first meetings, man, and straight out of the gate, I hurt when I'm meant to help, where I leave my wife wanting, where I leave her insecure, not rightly because she's trying to be dependent on me, but because as a husband, I'm called to nourish her, cherish her the way Christ does me. 
It's inconsistent. Why is it inconsistent? From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers of God, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. As we look at death and life and the power of our words, the third theme that we must see is what's their purpose? What's the purpose and the ability and how God's intended hope for you and me is not inconsistency, not where our words betray a true heart of worship, but to where we use them to build up, to speak life and care for one another. Why? Because out of one place comes both blessing and cursing. I speak life and then I hurt friends. It's Peter. I'll never leave you, Jesus. 13-year-old girl comes. I don't know him. We all have the tendency to do that. But it must, it should not be so. I love that too because there's almost, and this is me reading my, as I just get to know James as I read this, this is me reading my heart into that. He's already said at the start of this, we all stumble, yet a mature man. And I think what he's pleading for is this like internal prayer. It must not be so. It should not be so. I know truth. I know love. I know life. May I speak truth. May I speak love. May I speak life. You know what certain people don't have? Is the gift of encouragement. You know what's a fruit of the Spirit? Encouragement. Christians should be confused. I should be confused all the time with having a gift of encouragement. Why? Because all that is is stopping to remind someone, here's how God thinks of you. That, that doesn't mean you don't build up. That doesn't mean you don't refine. That doesn't mean you don't come and give constructive support. As iron sharpens iron, that too is loving. Love does not look like affirmation, blessing, and just speaking over an identity Christ only. Love also looks like coming and saying, if you're going to say this is true, why is blessing and cursing so consistently coming from your mouth? This ought not to be so. That is also love. It's the purpose of our words, to remind people what is true, help them to grow in truth. I just love that heart. James, he even uses again illustrations where he says, hey, salt water, fresh water. Fresh literally means sweet. Salt, bitter. Man, do you bring sweetness or bitterness to relationships? Like, your employees, do they look forward to coming and talking with you, or do they walk in kind of on eggshells? Like, like your, your kids, when they've done something wrong, is part of the reason they don't tell you because they just fear an angry response, and now you're going to yell at them? To where they walk in, it's like, hey, we got to be on eggshells. Or are we known as being people who speak life? Like, are you the person who comes and under the banner of God, you say, I am a truth teller. I'm the champion of truth. I love you enough to tell you. And you just rip somebody apart. Proverbs would say a harsh word is like sword thrust. It's like thrusting a sword, stabbing somebody. Versus deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Blessed are the wounds 
of a friend. At times, the purpose of your words is to wound friends, but never to stab with sword thrusts. How do you know which way you did it? Ask them. Ask them. When a doctor wounds you for the purpose of healing, yes, it hurts, but you begin to feel better over time. Ask them if there's still bitterness, resentment, and hurt. Our words are meant to have purpose. We speak a love and a life to people because Christ spoke a love and a life to us. Why does this matter, guys? Death and life are in the power of what we say. Our words have power. Our words can be painful. But our words have purpose. The biggest thing for me as I think through how do I apply this to my own life, how do I apply it to my own life, is honestly, I just don't think this way. You remember the axiom I started out with, think before you speak. I tried so hard to come up with a better application than that, but it's hard. It's hard. The only thing that I can consider is really, before I go and I speak to others, I think the greatest way I transform how I talk to them is I take one step back and I think through, how does Christ Jesus talk to me? How did he speak life to me? How did the moment when Lazarus, if you know the story, he was dead, he was in the cave, and he comes and he speaks life come out. The girl sick, he just looks at this little girl, probably 13 years old, as she's laying dead because he was supposedly not there on time. And he just speaks to her, Talithi, who me? Sweet little girl, get up. How Peter, after he goes and denies him, Jesus Christ looks at him, makes eye contact in the rejection as he goes to the cross and he says the famous line, forgive them for they know not what they do. He comes back from the dead and resurrection, the grave's empty. He then goes seeking out his people, his disciples to remind them it was all true. And he comes to Peter, John 21, and he makes him breakfast. He looks at Peter and he just asks him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he goes on. Peter was the same one, that same book of the Bible. If we had more time, we'd teach this. If you were to go back in John chapter 6, there's this moment where this, this public gathering comes around Jesus. And Jesus teaches something hard. He's talking about eating a flesh and blood. We'll study another time. But he teaches something hard. And this big group has come. And all of a sudden, these people, these supposed followers of his, they start to leave because of what Jesus said. And Jesus turns to his core his disciples. And he looks at him and says, are you going to leave me too? Peter looks at Jesus and he says, where else am I going to go, man? You are the only one with the words of eternal life. The one who knew that yet spoke death. Christ met him in grace. And then you see Acts 2, this boldness, this love of Christ and what he's done as he comes and proclaims it to a lost world. The greatest application I can think of for how we change the way we speak is we self-preach the narratives. How does Jesus talk to me? How does Jesus speak to me? And then from that, by the power of his spirit, by the grace of God, 
How do I do everything I can to remind people of that in every relationship that I have? We are meant to speak life. I'll close with this, man. I, I had a friend come up to me Thursday mornings. There's this, this prayer meeting where we show up. It starts at 6.15. It's open to anybody. It goes till 7. We come, we gather, we pray. I have these friends that come. This couple has been hanging out, this faithful couple. They hang out after, and I'm talking with them. They're members of this body, and, and she's asking me this question. Hey, John, I just have a question. There's a situation. I'm wondering how to think through and how to care for something, right? And she begins to describe this relationship, this friend of hers, this married couple, where this wife has been hurting recently because she went, she had a conversation where a husband shared, hey, I, I don't want to come and remind you that you're beautiful, because I'm scared that in those moments you'll take too much from me or it'll lead to a sense of arrogance in you. I don't know the family all that well. It was one of those, once you hear it, the first thing you start to share is, well, hey, I don't, I don't know the full background. As this wife is then asking me, hey, how should I care for my friends? I don't know the full background, but here, here's what I know. The role of a husband, they are called to love a wife as Christ loves the church, to nourish, to cherish. Jesus doesn't ever leave me wondering as his bride what he thinks of me. He doesn't ever leave me sitting there insecure and am I enough. No, he's come, he's purchased me, he's ransomed me. He views me and that way is divinely beautiful. As such, I can't think of any good reason why a husband wouldn't do that. She looks at me with a sigh of relief. Her husband's off to the corner. She's sharing the story. And her husband turns to his wife. They've been married 40 years. Turns to his wife. This meeting started at 6.15. And says to her, sweetheart, I told you you were beautiful before we left the house today. Not trying to say, hey, look at me. Here's what I'm doing. But to remind her of what he felt was true of her. I saw this wife of 40 years radiate come alive. As she turned, she walked towards her husband. She put her arm around him, looking at me with that, like, you know that, like, internal glow, like the wife is the glory of her husband, and how a wife is loved, cherished, cared for, and felt. It's like this beautiful flower that's fully blossomed. She looks at me, and she just says, he has been telling me that every day for 40 years. One family, you can bring difficulty. One family, you can bring life. Do you have to be married in order to do that? Absolutely not. The only thing you have to be able to do is to know, one, how God loves you. And from that love, how do you speak that to friends, to classmates, to other students at college, to the high school that you're in, to the young adults you run with, to the colleagues at work, to the girl or to the guy that you date, to the one you're engaged to and you can't wait to be married to and you think you'll never have a bad day in your life. It's coming, right? But you think you'll never have a bad day all the way into marriage with Lord willing. What could come from there? If you remember at the start of this, we talked about what we're going to talk about today has the potential to impact every single relationship that you have. You can speak life to it, or by neglecting, or worse, in anger. You can speak death to it. 
Church, you and I are meant to speak life. He really does love you. He really does care about you. We'll get to see in a few chapters how he says he yearns jealously over the spirit within you. He's for you. Because of that, we should be for others in speaking life. Let me pray that we would do that, and we'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for the reminder of this in my life. Would you, would you continue to tame my tongue as I yield to your spirit, that it may be a source of life, that I'd use it to speak love. May that be true of us here. For those who are your people, your church, your body, may we go and may we speak love. It's a non-negotiable. It's a call to, in the areas where we haven't, may we go and say, will you forgive me? And may we remind people of what is true, never compromising truth, but always accompanying it with love. I need your help to do that. We need your help to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. There's no greater way than to speak love to somebody than graciously, with gentleness and respect, reminding them, here's how I'm able to do that. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I thought it was this, but it came to be true that it's not. If you'd want to learn more about that this morning, if you talk about that and you think, I don't think God views me that way. I don't think God feels about me that way. I don't think God speaks to me that way. Don't leave. Don't leave without turning to a neighbor and saying, are you a follower of Jesus? And saying, if so, can you tell me what that looks like? If there's confusion there, come down. I'll spend all day with you. We love that you guys came. If you're joining us for our meetings after the service, again, there's three of them. There's a newcomer's class in room A. Room B, am I saying all that right? Yeah. Nope, flip it. Sorry, I had to ask the boss. Okay, room B is newcomer's class, so everything I said in the announcements was inaccurate. Uh, Room A is going to be, if you're gathering for a community group and what that looks like in the future and joining us, come. That's where it'll be in room A. Children's volunteer discipleship training, that will be in here. Wherever you are, have a great week of worship. See you next week.